The internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore it. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shagoths, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we'll discover or build a god when we reach the cyber ocean floor. People claim to remember past lives, I claim to remember a different, very different present life. Psychotic drones, where the mystic swims, they're drowning. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Astral Flight Podcast, where we navigate the digital world through art and culture. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest and a very important person to me who's been doing exactly that for going on maybe 10 years, Mr. Thaddeus Russell of the Unregistered University, or no, Renegade University in the Unregistered no, Podcast. It's, it's changed now. Okay. Yeah, so, no longer Renegade University, it's now the Unregistered Academy. It's connected directly to the podcast and my Patreon. So, patreon.com slash unregistered has everything i do now it's all in one place which is really nice good well of so course all the courses bonus episodes of unregistered everything i do but all the courses are now under unregistered academy at patreon and there's a ton of stuff there and yes. um speaking yeah, yeah. of that i was just telling you that i've you know i've had this podcast in the works for close to a year Wow. And you were one of the guys that I was like, you know, on my uh, Rushmore list, like if I can wow. get, you know, top three guys, you're you were one of them. Wow, and man. I was going to wait. I was going to wait until maybe I had a little more prominence, and a little bit more of a name for myself. But you came out with a course the other day called the post left and capitalist realism. And I'm doing a mini series. You know, I'm, I'm sort of um, structuring my podcast around like several episodes in a row on the same theme or the same topic. And one of them is the post left. And uh, the first person I had on for that topic was Gio Panicetti. Awesome. A yeah. And you you had an episode of The Post Left, or excuse me, a course on The Post Left and an episode with Gio. Mm -hmm. So I took a shot in the dark and you immediately agreed, which, you know, means a lot to me. And I greatly appreciate it. Oh, man, you're welcome. No, it's, yeah. it's flattering. And I love Gio. He's great. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you come? How did you? Because I've I've been following you since almost the beginning of your show. I think the first episode I found you on was uh, Gavin McInnes. Oh yeah, and that was like episode five or six, right? Yeah, it was. It was one so of the, how, yeah. how long mm -hmm. you been doing it? Yeah, that's that's it. Five years, almost exactly. Five years. Um, okay. Yeah, it started in let's see, April, early April of 2017. First episode was Michael Malice. Then it was second one was Camille Foster, and Gavin McInnes was like. I forget. It was one of the first 10 for sure. Um, yeah, it was it top was, ten, first 10 for sure. Yeah. And it was the number one. It was the most listened to episode until recently when I had Scott Ritter on. Um, but Gavin's that episode with Gavin was enormous. Like, I mean, it's just people are still still downloading it and watching it or listening oh, to it. Good to know. Um, it, yeah, it's actually mm -hmm. relevant to today's topic on the post left, because I found that episode while I was sort of having like a, a come to Jesus with my political perspective, because I'd, I'd had this trajectory of going from like pretty far radical left to mm. disengaged, vaguely liberal normie mm -hmm. to, to now uh, I, I don't like to categorize myself, but I am, I am right wing. Um, mm. And, and we'll get to that. But okay. uh, you know, and one of the reasons why your show has been so important to me is because you sort of like fostered me through that experience of like realizing and part of it had to do with just getting old and maturing and buying a house and having kids and going through the whole process and you reevaluate mm -hmm. your values. 
Mm -hmm. um, but it's also watching the turning tides of the culture. Um, but let's mm -hmm. circle back to that in a minute because I really want to. Sure. I really want to get in depth in that. Um, sure. Uh, the, the the other thing is your show. I think, you know, I I tend to be quite bombastic about my guests, but I really stand by the claims I make. That's why I have a show is to talk mm -hmm. to people like you. I truly feel that you have the most intellectually diverse podcast that there is period yeah and i'd be shocked if you've never heard that before um no i know i do yeah you <laughs> like do I've, Fuck yeah, I've never yeah. i mean i'm a podcast fan also and i listen to lots and lots of podcasts and i have for many years and no i've never i've never known of any podcast that's more intellectually and politically diverse i mean you yeah i even had like a new york times uh reporter on recently who was a total liberal who believed like all this stuff about the pandemic and Trump that was completely you know, wrong compared, according to me. But um, yeah, I mean, I've had everybody. So Gavin McInnes, Jim Goad, you know, actual right wing race realist types like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they never used it, but I mean, I think several of my guests would be sympathetic to fascism, some form of fascism. They don't scare me at all because I don't think they're actual Nazis. I don't think they would. Right. I think their form of fascism would be would look a lot like social democracy, actually. Right. Um, and then I've had lots of communists and socialists and, um, of course, plenty of libertarians and liberals, as I said, and just sort of standard conservatives, a few of those, too. Yeah, I've had everybody on MAGA, a lot of MAGA people, for sure, I've had on the show. Well, yeah. I appreciate uh, that your interest uh, is, is not just in politics, but also culture. In fact, your book, it felt like your book, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, I knew I was going to, call your book the name of your show your book is the unregistered history of the united states <laughs> the renegade, renegade history. history yeah yeah um, renegade history that book was like it felt like it was written for me because i i had spent my life feeling a certain way about culture and the way culture relates to like the greater political you know milieu and reality and you know the the, the dialectic and push and pull there and it enunciated a lot of like uh, the affect I had relating to culture, especially, I don't want to get too much into the book, not because it's not worth it, but we don't have mm -hmm. enough time. Uh, sure. But I just wanted to say um, the way you like talked about like the hippie cultures and the counterculture, it's very, it's a very unique way to talk about it because that mm. has always been talked about either hippies talking to each other and countercultural people talking to each other, patting each other on the back about how they change the world or mm -hmm. they're being attacked by conservatives saying that they ruin the world. So you were like one of the first people I ever found to take like a third position on that. And I really appreciate mm. that. And Thank you. I, I, yeah, I do think it's relevant to the post left though, because I think sure. where we're at now probably um, is that world finally see, at least we're in a position now, I think where we can see the end of, of that world and the, the, the liberal order as they saw it and as they recreated it. So I guess maybe in order to elaborate on that and to, to, to specify what I mean, we'll, we'll ask you a couple of questions first. So um, what is the post left in your opinion? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, when I use that term, I'm referring to about a dozen people that I can think of <laughs> specifically. I would say you even know, less. Yeah. It's yeah. a very small group of people, but yep. um, it's people who are, either socialist or social democratic in terms of their uh, politics and certainly about economics. They're um, very clearly anti-racist. 
you know, they want Medicare for all, but they despise the Democratic Party because for them, the Democratic Party is what I believe it is, which is the, the fount of American imperialism and war making for a century now, and is increasingly authoritarian and is clearly the greatest threat to basic old fashioned American freedoms now. I mean, the First Amendment is really hanging by a thread, I think. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if within five to 10 years, we would have hate speech laws. And, I, and by the way, I think a lot of the right wing would do that too. I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating a rough time uh, in the culture. I think we're in a very reactionary moment. And I think that it's both, I think that we have sort of a, a soft fascism on the left. And then we have the sort of reactionary um, stuff on the right that's coming up in very ugly ways these days with the whole pedophilia and grooming hysteria it's it's really ugly and i think they once they if they take power and they probably will take power the maga right wing um might come after people like me who are sympathetic to the counterculture in all its forms and that's the one place where i am still sympathetic to the left although the left really doesn't i mean the left is not the left is actually puritanical which is so funny about this whole thing this has been my argument forever and ever is that the left is totally puritanical this um so this whole grooming thing just makes no sense. They they absolutely are grooming children all day, every day for po for politics, in politics. They're grooming them to be political in particular ways, no doubt about that. And I think that's horrific. The indoctrination is nonstop, but they're not trying to fuck children. That's just really ridiculous. Oh, um, goodness. <laughs> but I mean, come on. I mean, liberals are not trying to fuck children, you know, so, um, but they are trying to indoctrinate them into a whole worldview that is a very elaborate worldview. And I find that, disgusting and pathetic and i oppose that entirely so yeah um but i see um i see i could see laws banning you know the n-word i could see also laws um banning discussing sex in the presence of children um i don't know you know it's i could see a lot coming down the pike both both from the left and the right well <laughs> we're gonna have to leave that there for a second the grooming thing Sure. Because uh, I, I like I kind of shy away from labeling myself right wing. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you brought up the counterculture. That's why I brought that up, because what this grooming stuff is, the anti grooming stuff is a reaction to one of the consequences of the sexual revolution of the of the 1960s Absolutely. and the counterculture. So it's very much a reaction to the counterculture. And it's just that to me the counterculture i also don't like what's going on at these drag shows for kids i mean in in different ways though i mean i just find indoctrinating kids in any way for any purpose i find to be disgusting right um, right 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 so but yeah and then yes so that's why i brought that up because you brought up the counterculture so i see what i see right now is on the right wing a huge reaction to the counterculture uh of the 60s which it took them a while to get there like maga was not concerned about that stuff you know, the Trump movement was not really concerned about cultural issues. And Steve Bannon always says, it's not my line of country, you know, to talk about cultural stuff. But now they are. Now it's the, the thing that's animating them the most. And I find it really scary. Well, the point I was going to save till uh, much later in the conversation, I'll bring it up now. I have been watching what's been going on over the last several years, and I've always kind of waited with bated breath for the left to finally, like, go too far. <clears throat> and yeah. starting yeah. in about 2020 now i'm not like hysterical like some people are some people have been screaming their brains out about the left going too far since right. 60s uh, right. i'm not one of those guys i i do think there was a time where 
they at least had redeeming qualities. And I identified with them, and this, especially mm-hmm. in the early uh, Bush years in the, in the, in the mm-hmm. you know, Iraq war and the WTO. I've actually met Scott Ritter, uh, oh. believe it or not. And wow. I, I fucking took the, and that, they went after that guy real bad. Yep. And I took the opportunity to be like, hey, bro, don't worry. Like some of us know that you're the real deal. And right. it was a witch hunt. Um, yep. But yep. Uh, it, I just it was by chance in, in, in a vague, quick meeting. Um, mm. So but he's from that time. You know what I mean? He's from the time where the left was, in my opinion, on, on the on the right side of, of history, even though they keep saying that they are. Oh, you anyway, mean like during the Iraq war, the Iraq then, war. Yeah, and, yeah. and and he uh, just for audience right. uh, sure. who's not listening, I mean, I don't really want to talk about wartime politics, but he was like the main guy who was saying that, no, there are no weapons of mass destruction in mm-hmm. in Iraq. And he's yep. been to Iraq. I think he worked for the U.N. or. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he came back and said it was all a lie. And of course, they went whole hog on him. Scott was, I think, easily the most important anti-war activist intellectual Absolutely. during the Iraq War. I mean, he's he's the one who put the lie, who showed that the main justification for the war was a lie. Yeah. And we still, to this day, that's the first thing anti-war people will say is yeah. WMDs were a lie, right? That's because of Scott. He was the actual UN weapons inspector. He was exactly. the one who actually inspected their weapons. And he said, no, it's not happening. And they um, not, they unpersoned him, and they also threw a ton of, uh, you know, they did the, um, uh, what was his name, the, the governor of New York that they took out, who was going to prosecute Wall Street. Uh, oh, um, Elliot Spitzer. Oh yeah, Elliot Spitzer. They, yeah, they right. gave Scott Ritter the Elliot Spitzer treatment, although it was yeah. even worse. I felt like what they did to Scott Ritter was even even more underhanded and and. Yeah. Yes, I agree with you basically although there is i don't want to talk about the scott ritter case yeah, let's but, let's not go too far but yeah it's Only a little more complicated than that it's but a little I, more complicated but i, I generally I'm, agree with you yeah the, the crime he was accused of and did uh prison time for he was no there's no crime at all he didn't touch anybody he wasn't right, even talking right. to a child right, he was talking right. to an adult cop you know Thank you. so yeah un- unbelievable you. yeah yeah um right so my point was that i Finally, around 2020, 2021, it, it was like, OK, the left is overplaying their hand now. I, I felt mm-hmm. like they've been pushing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And basically, in the wake of Trump, the hysterical reaction to Trump. And that's part of what pushed me away from the left was the hysterical reaction to Trump. I just kept mm-hmm. saying there's no there there to, to a lot of their their complaints and their criticisms of him. And I the grooming thing, um, you know. One of the things I love about listening to your show is that I take you very, very seriously. And there are times when I'm listening to your show where I'm like standing up and cheering like, fuck, <laughs> yeah. And then other times where I'm like screaming, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, you make yeah. me like excited mm-hmm. and, and angry. But I that I like that about you. And and this oh. is one of our disagreements. And, and mm. my audience will probably probably have a problem with me not taking you to task over it but i'm not going to do it because it's not really what i brought you here to talk to you about um okay but there's a chance that we can find common ground on the grooming thing by saying mm-hmm. that that is where the left overplayed their hand that's how I, where i think the left overplayed their hand oh sure yeah i mean <laughs> i was just before we started i was i was reading about the dallas drag queen show exactly this, yeah so i didn't didn't i was just looking at it today and I mean, I don't like anybody involved in the whole thing on either side. I just feel bad for the kids exactly, um, exactly. who are getting dragged. And the goddamn name of the show was Drag Your Kids to Pride. I mean, right. that right there. I mean, drag right. your kids to anything I'm opposed to. Um, I think kids going to a pride parade is perfectly fine. Um, but 
but um, they're obviously being indoctrinated. There were very, very young children who I'm sure had no idea about sexuality at all. And yeah, I found that to be just distasteful in various ways. Not exactly why, I don't think they're all harmed by looking at men dressing as women either, unlike a lot of these right-wingers. But yeah, I, I disliked the whole thing. And the right wing was right about this. I mean, it was clearly sexualized, lick this, whatever, you know, right, like right, neon right. sign saying it doesn't lick itself or something. I mean, again, I don't think that harmed any children, but there's no question that the major line was crossed about keeping children away from sexuality, adult sexuality. Um, but yeah, but then at the same time, I mean, these, these guys who are, you know, on megaphones in the street yelling at their parents, at the parents with the kids and kids were just terrified, of course, and horrified and not understanding and being called evil and having their mom being called evil in public and having, I mean, just awful. The whole thing was awful. It is. Yeah. And I agree with you, too, that the when I saw that, the only thing I thought to myself was that the children are going to want to defend their parents. They're, they're not going to like yeah. and, and they're going to see it as an attack on their parents and attack on themselves yeah. and things like that. But um, right. But the what we're talking about here, like the sexuality and the sexual identity stuff, that is part of what caused the fracture on the left is it not mm -hmm. i mean this is what the post left rejects this is what mm. mark fisher mm. railed against the identity politics mm. are what caused mm -hmm. the fracture in the left and the, the woke uh leftists great point the ones who wanted to make that front and center and the the people who are now the post left wanted to keep the class issues i mean that's what mm -hmm. that's what fisher talks about all through mm -hmm. most of his work i mean the two main things i think that are relevant mm -hmm. to this discussion are probably capitalist realism and exiting the vampire castle have you read that essay uh no oh you absolutely should absolutely should um let me ask you before we get to the the details what what was your course on mark fisher and the post left and we just read can, the book can, oh yeah, we together as like together. a book club <clears throat> yeah a book club course so i read the book i had you know i took out excerpts from the text we read it aloud together and then talked about it and analyzed it and uh, I think all of us found it to be unimpressive, actually. Okay, good, was a, good. Yeah, I was I was disappointed in that book. Okay. And found it to be pretty bad, actually. Me yeah. too. Okay, Me too. good. Yeah, no, we, yeah. we struggled, as the group struggled to find positive things to say about the book, although there were a few things that were said that were positive. But yeah, overall, my impression was, I was really, actually, it was depressing because so many Very. people I, re I really respect on the left like this book and talk about Mark Fisher all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm building relationships with people in the post left right now. And I want to do that. And I want to have more people in that world, you know, associated with me. But man, I don't understand what they like about that book. I really right, don't. Well, maybe we can get into it for a little bit. Who, who do you, who can you name that's on the post left that maybe people have heard of? <laughs> the 12, the 12 people. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I'm not insulting these people. I want them to come on my show. I mean, the, we're not calling oh. people out here to. Well, no, it's a credit you know. to them to be yeah, to exactly be courageous. Exactly. And they get they get much more hate than almost anybody. Exactly. Because they're hated by, you know, the whole left is after them. And of course, even much of the right doesn't like them either. So, yeah, I mean, what I suppose the the most prominent figure on what we're calling the post left is Glenn Greenwald, you know, and he's. His thing is, as we said, it's he's some kind of social democrat socialist, although he never talks about those issues. So I'm not even sure that's true. But I know that he's spoken at a socialist conference like many, many years ago. And he seems I think he's he think he has sort of called himself a leftist, but I don't, he never talks about economics. Right. And that's kind of where you find out, you know, whether they're left wing or not is on economics to me anyway. Um, but he like a lot of the most prominent post leftists, he is an enemy of the Democratic Party. 
So he's an anti-Big D Democrat leftist. And that would be him and then Matt Taibbi, would yeah. be the other one. Yep. Um, and then Michael Tracy, who's a friend of mine, who's been on my show a lot. Those three guys, I think, I think that's it for the most. Oh, and then, sorry, and then Max Blumenthal and Aaron Mate, who are also friends of mine who've been on the show. Those are the most prominent, I believe, journalists who are post-left, who, but the, what distinguishes them, again, is that they, are, that they are fiercely critical of the Democratic Party. Jimmy Dore, there you go, there's another one, Jimmy Dore. Um, fiercely critical of the Democratic Party for being imperialist and war making and authoritarian and you know censorious and all the things right but they are still i think would vote for bernie sanders you know right. if, if given the chance although they've been great about bernie supporting the disgusting 40 billion dollars to ukraine too they've been really good about that so Which, they're not yeah they're very they're very clear courageous um people who just speak their mind and are, are dead on in their analyses of the democratic party in my view so that's that would be like the most prominent people. Yeah. Um, so far that I can think of. Then you've got sort of more nebulous types like the Red Scare podcast. Yes, that's what I was going to bring up. Josh and Anna, who both have been on my show also. Um, you know, like Anna sort of bristled when I described her as a, as a leftist. Um, and, but, you know, I've listened to their show. I mean, they, they talk about things like Medicare for all being a good thing. I mean, that's, you know, what do you want to do with that? Um, so there's them. They're also quite prominent, though. Then um, there's not much else. I mean, I, I'm trying to think here. There's, there's no, what, what the post-left doesn't have is like a particular outlet, one media organ or outlet, like a magazine or a website, a news website that's a post-left thing. Maybe we should invent one. Yeah. So, oh, Jeff Schullenberger, that's yeah, probably my Gio favorite. always talks about him. Jeff is probably my favorite post-leftist. He is completely fucking brilliant. Um, been on my show twice. And, and um, yeah, but he's definitely post-leftist and very critical of basically the Democratic Party, you know, the Democratic Party regime, yeah. which people need to understand is the American political structure. I mean, it was created by the Democratic Party. You know, it's the Republicans have always been a junior partner in this, in the American empire. But anyway, so that's, um, that's the scene. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing some people, but it's really, <laughs> I think I named literally about 12 right there. Yeah, the only that's two it, I would add are uh, this somewhat obscure blogger named Sam Chris. Have you heard of him? No. He's great, mm -hmm. but he's a huge disciple of Mark Fisher. And then oh. I would add Amy Therese, Yes. Uh, you know her. She's great, right? Or, well, I do I know Amy. Maybe you don't think yeah. she's great, but I do. Um, um, Amy certainly post-left. Yo, for sure. But I think Amy's gone farther. I mean, I think she's actually yeah. right wing now. Yeah, yeah, me too. Honestly, she's probably the most kindred spirit with me than anyone <laughs> I've been able to find. Um, yeah, Amy but, and I, but, we diverge. She and I diverge on some stuff, but yeah. But I respect the hell out of her. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's use that, though, as a, as a starter for the next, next topic, because... Mm -hmm. My post-left series was going to be you, Geo, uh, mm. this memer named Beyond Woke and Problematic, who's a great, mm -hmm. a great uh, account. Shout out to him. And Amy Therese. Mm -hmm. But Amy, in the two weeks or three weeks that we were planning, was suspended from Twitter twice oh, for getting wow. in an argument with, with trans, I don't know what to call them, transsexuals, male mm -hmm. to females. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, she would get in huge arguments with them and they'd match reporter. And uh, I've lost touch with her, unfortunately, mm. uh, because she was suspended when we were supposed to record. And 
So if anybody's listening or if Amy, if you're listening, she's, get, get she's back on. She's, she's on back. Twitter now. Is yeah. it anime Therese though? Because uh, I don't know, but she's definitely back on Twitter and has been for quite a while. No, no, she's been suspended. Oh, recently? In the last like three weeks. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, but yeah. she's been suspended because she's getting in fights with, with trannies. I didn't now, know that. Okay. Now I you know you're familiar with this term turf. Yeah. Trans excluding sure. radical feminists. I think they are probably part of the post left because they're mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. okay, okay. And I think she probably is categorized. These are these are feminists yeah. who are opposed to the trans movement. Yes, because they don't think right. men who transition to women are women. They refuse right. to call them women. Exactly. Now, do you think that makes someone right wing? No, I mean, we got to we okay. got to define right wing before we use that term at all. Right. Well, let's I mean, do that, because I'm actually I think yeah. others, if I were to lay my platform out, mm -hmm. I would be accused of being right wing. But I actually shy away from that term for a lot of reasons. Uh, some you've already named and, mm -hmm. and others that you could probably imagine exactly what they are. I don't want to so be associated know, with some of those people. Do you know the history of those terms, right and left wing? To an extent, yeah. I mean, you know, the origin, the origin of it. The, the French parliament French revolution yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the national assembly right so the the monarchists and the clergy right sat on the right side and the jacobins and the anti-monarchists and the anti-clergy exactly. sat on the left side so so okay what do we take from that um the right wing in that case represented tradition tradition the monarchy and the church of course were you know were central parts of uh the french tradition and those on the left, the Jacobins and their ilk, wanted to do away with tradition and all, all things that were traditional in France. And so to me, and we're egalitarian, that's the difference also, that's, that's the key point here. So to me, conservatism is about protecting and conserving tradition, and the left is about egalitarianism and about doing away with tradition that is hierarchical at all, although, of course, they impose their own hierarchies, but that's at least theoretically the difference between the two. So if, you're, if, you, liked, if, you, if you are protective of tradition, traditional culture, I would call you conservative, and I suppose right wing. And if you're not, and also if you are happy to defend hierarchies, see, this is the key thing, right? Yeah. Um, that's another thing. And, but if you are an egalitarian, I don't see any other way to, to deal with you, but to call you a leftist, you know, right. that's, that's, if you want to impose radical egalitarian measures on a society, doing away with tradition, that's to me, that's, that's, that's Rousseau, that's Robespierre, that's Karl Marx, that's the Bolsheviks. You know, that's and that's who we sort of see today on the left, although I'm not sure they're really egalitarian, but at least they talk the egalitarian game. So that's well, the difference. Yeah, when I was uh, of the left and at the time I was proud to call myself a leftist, but now I'm I shy away from that as well. I I, I was never really a, a socialist or a communist. I was an anarchist. And I guess if I'm being honest, like a libertarian anarchist type of guy. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you're familiar. Yes. And there, the, the, there's been a long tradition in anarchists to to oppose Marxism and oppose socialism, even though much mm -hmm. of what we think of as anarchism is based on socialism. Uh, mm -hmm. Bakunin in particular, I remember like when I found him, I was like, OK, this is the guy, because my 
I felt sort of odd not criticizing capitalism. I never criticized capitalism. I always thought it was like this really immature sort of uh, childish backlash against like, you know, people's parents, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. the parents, their state. It is. <laughs> and yes, thank you, because you're one of the first people um, I've found who, 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 you know, agreed with me on that um, and who voiced it. So the anarchist critique and Bakunin's critique of Marx was that in order to get from here to there, to, mm-hmm. to get to impose the egalitarianism that you say you want, you're going to need a totalitarian state. You're going mm-hmm. to need a, a, a brutal, perhaps even worse than what we already have, regime to impose mm-hmm. it. Uh, to, mm-hmm. to, and that's exactly what the Bolsheviks ended up being um, yeah. and the Communist Revolution. So... For me, the reason why I don't consider myself post-left as a former leftist is because I don't espouse and I and I don't cling to any of the socialist uh, um, ideals that they have. Whereas what I'm seeing, and another one I wanted to mention was uh, Angela Nagel, who's been on your show. Yeah, and she's great. I consider her post-left. One of the yeah, things she's I a wa- post-leftist. Yes, absolutely. Wanted yeah. to say about them is it seems like one of the defining characteristics of their thought is to retain the core Marxism that they feel mm. the others mm-hmm. on the left have lost and have gone mm-hmm. away from. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is why they find common cause with the nationalist populist movement mm-hmm. because the nationalist populist movement speaks in class terms often sounding just like marxists so the 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 only major um leader of a political movement in america who talks about the working class uses that term is steve bannon uh every day he talks about the working class and workers i mean that's maga they're very self-consciously a working class movement and you know listen to steve bannon give a everyone should go watch if they haven't already the amazing debate that steve bannon had with david from several years ago oh jeez, i can't stand that guy well he just wiped him out i mean it was incredible it was incredible just an absolute wipeout and but the thing was that bannon talked like a marxist for much of that about the elites the the ruling class the wealthy the corporations the banks essentially conspiring to crush the workers the working class of america you know, it's that's what Eugene Debs would have said back in, you know, 1912 when he was running for president on the Socialist Party ticket. So, yeah, it's um, so the post left, I think they find that to be very sympathetic. I think they like that. And I think that's why one of the reasons why Bannon was on Red Scare. Um, so, yeah, they have not abandoned that core sort of Marxist belief in the primacy of class. And a desire to level somewhat the uh, level society in some way. So this is, you know, it's interesting. I mean, MAGA and the left both want to kind of cut off the heads a bit. They want to restrain the rich, eliminate the rich, punish the rich, and they want to raise the standards through state action, by the way, of the working class. So, you know, I said from the very beginning, I mean, back in 2015, when Trump started to run, I said, there will come a point where Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, their followers, at least, will form a political party or something like it. Bro, yeah, that's exactly where I feel like I am, because for me, if I were if someone because I heard your episode with Anna Kachian and you said when you abandoned the left and it sounds like when she abandoned the left, too, it was 2008 mm-hmm. and Obama. But for me, it was 2016, even though I had been like lukewarm to like slightly allergic to them already. Mm-hmm. Um, that pushed me over the edge because I see the post left what it is today as like all of the refugees uh, from the left that 
supported Bernie Sanders that kind of got shut out and left out in the cold by the Democratic Party, by the way, Mm -hmm. they treated him during that election. And, you know, I disagree with him a lot now. Uh, I still probably would. I would probably still I would vote for him over any Democrat as long as he still had the Mm. same platform he did back then. Mm. Um, He's the only Democrat I've ever voted for ever. I've always Mm -hmm. voted third party, either green Mm -hmm. or libertarian. I have my problems with Green Party, but we'll save that for another time. Um, but but the talk you're saying now, though, about class consciousness and class, excuse me, class issues, class consciousness is a Marxist mm-hmm. thing. I kind of have two questions because you're bringing up uh, something that's really important for me that I, is ominous to me. You had this guy on your show mm-hmm. named Daniel Bessner. Remember him? Sure. He's great. He's great. And he uh, not that I agree with him on a lot, of <laughs> but mm-hmm. he's got a really good, though, historical analysis. And he talked about his book that I looked the name up before the show and I'm just blanking on it now. Well, maybe you can remember it. But he talked about how um, the the the, stu- the focus of his book was about like the think tanks and stuff that were uh, R- Rand, Rand, the Rand. Yeah, think- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This is Moldbug's Cathedral, is it not? Well, I flesh that out. Maybe. I don't know what you mean. Well, well, Daniel Bessner's books is about like the think tanks that that come mm-hmm. up with policy that aren't mm-hmm. really part of the government. They're part of part of academia in an mm-hmm. attempt to sort of sway not just public opinion, but awful gov- government policy. And these these were pretty uh, pro foreign policy, military interventionists, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and Yarvin says the cathedral is is, of course, academia and the think tanks that that mm-hmm. determine culture and, and bring culture you know, yeah. forward. That is Cthulhu that's dragging uh, culture to the left. Yeah. Um, I mean, and Curtis borrowed that idea from, I think, from Gramsci, you know, talked about cultural hegemony being both the marker of the ruling class and necessary for the ruling class. You must maintain yeah. cultural hegemony. The TV and the radio or the internet, whatever is playing at the time in history, uh, needs to be spewing out your ideas. Right. And the schools, most importantly, need to be teaching your ideas. And to find out who the ruling class is, just find out what they're teaching in the schools and whose interest that serves. Yeah, and Gramsci was the long march through the institutions guy, correct? Um, no, I don't think he oh. actually said that. I Maybe I don't think so, but I think that was more of a 60s, 70s term, and Gramsci was long dead by then. Yeah, but I think I think it's applied to his plan, though. I think that's what they referred to his. Um, yeah, that's a Gramscian strategy, for right, sure. Right, right, to right. Take, to take over the academy, which is what they did. For sure. And now we're seeing the results of that, by the way. We're seeing, when I was teaching in those schools, and I taught at elite colleges for 25 years, um, I mean, I remember thinking, you know, these kids, they're going to be the ruling class one day. Yes, and I was part of the, part of the group teaching them a lot of this stuff we're now hearing. But now they've done it. They've they've ascended into positions of power. AOC is just is sort of the prime example. Totally. She she is exactly like all of my students at Barnard College back in the day. She's exact. I know exactly who that is and how they think. <laughs> but now they have power. Now they're in Congress. Yeah. Yeah. I hung out with those people when I was a leftist. And it's been such a fucking mindfuck for me to to suddenly go through my life and in 2016 2017 hearing people in the mainstream media like AOC mm-hmm. saying the same shit I used to hear in 2001 in like an in, anarchist collective in, in yeah, the city and it, exactly. it, it, I couldn't believe it took me exactly. a while to like right that's funny recover from that happening um, I, but, used to ha- I used to hang out in anarchist collectives in New York City too oh, in East, back in the 90s in the East Village my buddies were all anarchists in the East Village we thought they were so fucking cool they would um, squat they were squatting a lot of squatters back then in the I, East Village. I, I had Yarvin on 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I told him a little bit about how I used to be a, me and a friend used to be an anarchist and, mm-hmm. and, and the guy exposed me to Yarvin. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, that's kind of what like brought me around um, around the time I discovered your work. And uh, I remember wishing I had said this, like, yeah, sure. We were anarchists hanging out in anarchist collectives, but we really just wanted to like, fuck the art holes that hung out there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, my uh, guys would never say anything like that. No, I no, mean, no, they, no, no. They were it's like kind of a joke. Uber it's, feminists. Yeah. Those yeah. Guys. I'm saying that's somewhat tongue in cheek, uh, right, right. but, but Daniel Bessner and what you were saying okay. about uh, Marxist, uh, yeah. his book is, a, uh, and it's called democracy in exile. Yeah. And I remember him saying that part of what inspired him to write the book was the subject of his books, uh, uh, frustration that the working class went fascist and didn't go Marxist. And why did that happen? And, and what can we do to prevent that in the future? And mm-hmm. it, it, and when I said uh, this, I have an ominous feeling mm-hmm. right now. Um, it seems like that's what's happening now. And I don't. I'm one of those people who doesn't really think that we're going to have a replay of the earliest 20th century, uh, in early 20th century Germany, and and uh, the the struggle between fascism and Marxism coming to to a head and coming to blows. But there are so many. I mean, tell me if you disagree with this. There's, I feel like there's so many indications uh, uh, and parallels of things like going that way and looking similar. Like the working class is now uh, developing this like conscientiousness on the right wing, which is exactly what happened, and it's in reaction to some of the left wing excesses, like. And people mm-hmm. on the right oft, on, online often point out the similarities between uh, America now and Weimar Germany, especially oh, with okay. like, the sexual liberation. I mean, yeah. I, I assume you're familiar with this comparison and these ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, it's been, I've been what, seeing it on Twitter lately a lot. Yeah, big fact, time, yeah. big time. So what do, you, what do you think? I mean, is there anything there? Yarvin, Yarvin says he does not think we're going to have a replay of the early 20th century. And he, I had him on my show <laughs> That's to <good>. discuss the <laughs> episode yeah. where he explains why. Um, I'm Where glad. do you stand on that? I'm glad Curtis thinks that because Curtis is brilliant and he's right about a lot of things. So I hope he's right about that. I mean, who knows what will happen, right? Predicting politics is a very bad idea. Um, but I can tell you that there are some conditions existing in society now that are troubling and that I think are dangerous. Same, but I, I agree. But I have no idea how they're going to play out. You just don't know. Um, and, you know, the, the advent of technology alone can change the landscape can change politics instantly you know if, look what youtube did to politics look what twitter did to politics right Absolutely. well we might we're going to have another innovation like that who knows what it is but it'd be some another technological innovation that will change politics um so i don't know um <clears throat> i mean i think <clears throat> politics now is i described this on someone else's show a long time ago it's um it's um a very tiny portion of the population performing on stage and the rest of us watching on our computers and commenting on it. But it's, you know, the people who are actually doing politics, you know, they're actually in the streets or actually passing laws or, you know, fighting in the streets, all that stuff. I mean, that's a very tiny group. That's the, that's the sort of 5% of college students who are lefty radicals who make life miserable for everyone else on campus by always yelling and screaming about this or that outrage. It's those people. And then on the right, you have the then you have their counterparts on the right, like the Proud Boys, who are utterly harmless, but they like to do that. They like to be, you know, on stage fighting lefties in these very dramatic ways. Um, and the rest of us are very passive in our in our homes. We're very atomized in that way. Yet we're also parasocial, right? Through social media, it's like 
you know, you, you sort of feel like you, you know, your podcaster, you know, the one that you're a fan right. of, right. you kind of feel, well, I know that, you know, I hear that all the time, but having never met the guy. Um, so, so what does that mean for politics? I mean, I think it might mean just less activity generally, like actual IRL activity, political activity. I think it'll just be limited to these silly little street, literal actual street fights between lefties and righties on this stuff. And the rest of us sit at home and watch and then maybe vote. And that's that. And then we go on with our lives watching Pornhub and, you know, and, and doing everything else that Americans do these days. So, <clears throat> um, so that means, you know, no civil war. Yeah. Right. No, no race, no race war. Um, I just don't see that. I hope not. I don't see like collective violence. That's the scary stuff, right? When it's this proud boy and that Antifa punching each other in the face in Portland, it doesn't matter much. But if it gets to be collective and organized, like in the 30s, like in Germany and here, well, everywhere in the 30s, you know, where you have, you know, in the 30s in all these countries, you had, you know, moments where you had thousands or tens of thousands of communists, capital C communists, literally fighting in the streets with thousands of actual fascists, right? Who are, and on each side, they're organized, they have leaders, they have political parties attached to them. They're running for political office on both sides. They're winning political office on both sides, right? That's what we don't have yet. We don't have that, but we certainly have the preconditions for it. Now, the thing is, MAGA is not really fascist. I think it has fascist elements. And the left is not really left-wing anymore. They're not socialists anymore. They're all social Democrats, right? So the difference is pretty small now. And especially with MAGA and the left, it was, as we've already discussed, there's a whole lot of overlap. In fact, I think they agree on more than they disagree on. In fact, if you take the cultural issues out, Bernie's, Bernie's voting record is Donald Trump's voting record, or it would be. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, Bernie was anti-immigration, pro-gun, you know, um, pro-protectionism, anti-China, anti-trade with China. I mean, he sounded like Donald Trump half the time. So I, I, so I do see convergence between the left and the right there, but I also just see like a lack of organization, thank God. Um, when you get political parties organizing violence, we are, we're done. I mean, that's- Well, don't really, you think that's already happened though? That's the time to leave the country. I think that's uh, already happened in 2020 with the, yeah. with the democratic endorsement of the BLM riots. It, yeah, I mean, that was the beginning. I, I would say that's that's consistent with what I'm talking about. But it wasn't it wasn't the Democratic Party leadership saying, hey, get together. We need 10,000 people on this street corner and 10,000 people over there in that street corner. Bring your weapons. There will be communists there. Fight them or whatever. But the, 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 I feel like the effect is the same, though, like when you when you refuse to uh... no, but it, no, it dissipates when it's when it's not organized like gotcha, that, it dissipates. Gotcha. Right. So and we've seen gotcha. this over. Thank God again and again with left wing causes. Right. Back in 2014. Remember, all the women on college campuses were getting raped. Right. Yeah. Every yeah. woman is getting raped yeah. on college campuses. And this is a national emergency. We must stop everything before and, until we fix this problem. Well, we don't hear about that anymore. Apparently, they stopped getting raped. We don't hear a word about rape on college campus. And that was all we heard about for right. two years then. And then after that, it was every black person in this country is being hunted by cops. And it's it's a hunt. I mean, they are actually the cops are trying to find black people to kill them. Um, we no, no, that's a 
total fabrication and no one cares about it anymore, right? And now they, and then Ukraine was the thing and that faded away. And so there's not, the left is not organized. Actually, I mean, MAGA is far more organized. I mean, they have the central organ and Steve Bannon and agitator and he's, he's organizing them. Everyone should watch the war room, which I talk about all the time, but every day he's like giving instructions, yeah, instructions to the rank and file of the Republican party to do particular things, to take control of the country. I mean, that's what we're talking about here right. and that's why they're going to win and the left just hasn't gotten that yet they haven't gotten yeah there. but i mean not sure so they two, can two, two things first uh i think that is the hypermodern condition i like to think we're i think we're out of postmodernism and we're in hypermodernism because i think cultural organization and and cultural forms are organized around the internet now and digital medium mm -hmm. yeah and, and and a lot you know people who disagree with me on that say that there's so many similarities between the two and of course they are this is just a continuation of the same trends um but what you said about they dissipate that is true and that actually is one of the main arguments uh, you enunciated it better than most but that's one of the main arguments against people like me who say this is all coming to a head and these things are happening uh, because they do fade but i think we're living in the, the late sorry, sorry the other reason they fade is that they are fabrications and fictions and totally. they are they're essentially rich people's concerns right um you know, the, yeah, I mean, sort of like girls, freshman girls at colleges having sex with a guy who's a little too rough with them, you know, that is a concern for wealthy people. Um, that's what Americans are. We're a wealthy people, you know, we're wealthier than everyone on earth, basically. And so we have time, we have the luxury to concern ourselves with this kind of navel gazing, you know, yeah, inventing, totally. inventing racism and inventing oppression and inventing, inventing all these things. And it, because the Ku Klux Klan isn't actually around anymore, it's very hard to keep people organized and motivated, you know, and animated when they don't actually see actual racists. They have to keep inventing it. You know, this, I, this is Mark Fisher's critique of the left, and this is where Mark Fisher separated mm. from the left. And you mm -hmm. should read uh, Exiting the Vampire Castle because these are exactly the terms he uses for, for splitting with the left. And, um, you know, I consider mm. Mark Fisher like the, the martyr mm of left, the, the martyr of the post-left. Uh, he's one mm -hmm. of the most prominent post-left figures. Mm -hmm. but, but my response to what you're saying though, because I do agree with everything you're saying, but my response to you is that nevertheless, we are now living in the wake of all of those things. We are living with a corporate structure in which men feel completely, and, and a university structure in which men feel you know, scared or intimidated out of uh, participating to the fullest extent. Um, mm -hmm. And some people on the, the right argue that this is watering down the education system and it's 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 kind of shifting the goalposts of ideology in school to something much more narrower which i guess we could say into radical feminism i don't think it's quite that mm -hmm. simple um the thing about the cops is now policing in our cities has like backed way off and the police feel uh they don't feel empowered to mm -hmm. to 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 police in the way that they once did which mm -hmm certainly had its excesses i'm not so far to the right where i i can't say that uh certainly had its excesses mm -hmm. and certainly uh unjustifiable things happened mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. it is a fabrication though because there there are some examples you can point to where the cops did act uh like like racist thugs and mm -hmm. for some reason those aren't the ones that set people off uh rioting um <laughs> and a quick counter to you you don't have to necessarily come back at me on this one, but I do find it interesting though that that fabrication uh, happened during an election year. You know what I mean? Mm. Like people, oh, sure. <laughs> people don't think that it's a coincidence that like uh, 
there's a kid whose name I'm forgetting who got shot in the back of the head in the, in Berkeley, I believe it was, or San Francisco for jumping a turnstile. This was like uh, 2013. This was maybe 2009, uh, a long time ago. Not not Oscar Grant. Yeah. My point, though, is that mm -hmm. things like that happen, which are truly egregious and there's no right. backlash. And then something right. like George Floyd happens, which obviously, you know, I'm not saying that that was, uh -huh. you know, doesn't. Well, Chauvin also didn't kill Floyd, though. That's the problem. Exactly. There. <laughs> that's my point. And that's my did point. not but, kill him. <laughs> but that's the one. But yeah. that's the one that set off a, a nationwide rioting. And it just so happens to be during an election year. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Nevertheless, wherever you stand on that, um, mm -hmm. to your point, we're mm -hmm. still living in the wake of those movements. We're still living in the wake of that hysteria. So now we have a downgrade in the quality of life uh, as a result. And and yes, that downgrade in quality of life is uh, conducive to. And this is the Democrats overplaying their hand. Right. That was mm -hmm. them pandering to the left uh, to take mm -hmm. complete control over. And, you know, mm -hmm. some I don't know. Where do you stand? Do you think the election was stolen? Do you have? Oh, a, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. In, in various Good. ways. I mean, both they stole it in by legal means and I'm sure we know by legal means, but by illegal means as well. Yeah, I mean, the sure. I mean, Zuckerberg's, you know, boxes being stuffed with ballots. I mean, come right, on. What, right, what else was right, that going right. to you put a You put a box in the middle of the city and say this is where drop your, your ballot in here to vote. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not going to be abused. Come on now. And then the numbers were just funky. I mean, that night yeah, I yeah. said, I think I tweeted. You can look at my tweets from that night. I said, yeah. If these, I said it's something like, if these, the numbers coming out of Miss Wisconsin in particular, um, are telling me that Joe Biden might be going to prison someday, because yeah. <laughs> it just didn't make any sense. You had like ninety nine, you had like ninety nine percent voter participation yeah. in some of the districts and stuff like that, right? It just that's a happen. really good tweet. That's a really good tweet, but I don't think it's going to come to pass, though. <laughs> I really don't. Well, not not Biden, but somebody might go to prison actually. This because is them. Listen, let me. Can I just say this? Yeah, though? no, this go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just about here and now politics, and I think people might, I just might find it interesting. But like, everyone agrees that the Republicans and the MAGA wing of the Republicans will take control of Congress in November. You know, and now when they take control of Congress, that means they have control over those all those committees, the oversight committees, right? All the over, there's Senate Oversight Committee and a House Oversight Committee, in which they can subpoena anything they want from any government official, and that person will have to come and testify in Congress. You know, uh, and if they commit, if they if they lie at all, they will go to prison for perjury. You know, so. And MAGA people will be in control of those oversight committees with subpoena power. And they have already said they're going to go so fucking hard on the Wuhan lab, the election, Russiagate, all of it, all the stuff that the Democrats have been getting away with for years. This is going to be a cataclysm, I believe, a well, cataclysm in American politics next year for the listeners i have a fucking huge smile plastered onto my face i hope you're right man this is like very optimistic yeah. uh, because because one of the refrains of the left especially in the 2000s and i think it's more true now than it was then is that there are not two political parties it's just one political party and people have mm -hmm. taken to calling it the regime mm -hmm. i think that's a very apt phase i don't think i've seen you use it but i can't imagine you disagreeing there's, too much there's four there's four political parties yeah that, yeah Suss it out so the four are the establishment Democrats, the establishment Republicans who have a few minor differences, but they're significant enough that they run against each other. And then there's the MAGA Republicans and the Bernie AOC uh, Democrats. 
And, and that's those are the four major forces within American political um, life. Now, I, I understand that MAGA and Bernie don't have their own parties, but they may as well. I mean, they operate as distinct parties. I mean, they hate they hate the establishment openly in both cases. So that's it's just a question of formalizing it. When will they actually make the break and, and establish separate parties? I don't know. The MAGA people don't seem to be interested in that. They seem pretty clear, pretty much unified in seeking to over to take the party over rather than produce a new party, which might be the smart strategy. But yeah, we have four parties now, which is well, a new thing. In my in my lifetime, we, there's never been such a thing. There's only been two very similar ideologies that were dominant, you know, mainstream conservatism and mainstream liberalism. I agree with you. And I don't like to make predictions too much either. But I also think we we live in interesting times. And um, <laughs> I I can't imagine the GOP letting uh, Trump on the ticket again in 2024. They're just not going to. And I they're, remember, you no, know, not, they have no choice, man. They have no choice. The, there's no who who in this country is a Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell. Fan? No, nobody is. Nobody is. But you remember like right. uh, you remember they used to scream, let Ralph debate. I think it was 2008. They wouldn't let yeah. Ralph Nader debate. Ralph Nader. They, mm -hmm. and, and, and the Democrats have kept other people out. I mean, they fucking shut down the, the debates of 2020. Yeah, they but just, that's already taken care of. The Republicans have already announced they will not participate in the debates anymore. So that debates are done. They're over. There will be no more. People don't know this. No, there will be no, no but more I mean presidential the, I debates. Meant, yeah, no, of course. I think politics as we know it is over. I think it's done. Okay. But but if, they're, if, if they stole the election in 2020, which I'm not saying mm -hmm. they did or they did not, let's just mm -hmm. say if they did, mm -hmm. why, do you, why would anyone think, you or anyone else think, that they would allow a normal above board election to go on next time? I mean, because they, especially if they know they'll lose. Yeah. No, I know. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm very curious what the Democrats will do because they know they're going to lose. And yeah. they know the only way to keep MAGA out, Republicans out, is to cheat. Or, or, yeah. or you know, well, <laughs> or go to war. Well, there are, there are those who say that we're <laughs> Or go to war. They're going to go to well, war. Do you mean I mean, a that's, foreign war. A foreign yeah. war. I mean, oh, a foreign yeah, war. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I mean, yeah, Ukraine yeah, yeah. is just a is just a warm up. Yeah. yeah. But that we all know historically, that's what saves presidents. Yeah. Any look at Bush. Right. That's what saved him. He went right. from shit ratings to like 70 or 80 percent favorability because of the Iraq war. A uh, very fascist moment in American history. That was, by the way. So, yeah, I think that's I wouldn't. I mean, wow. <sighs> But so, I, well, I just yeah, that's the only way they're going to get out of this. And well, I just me and hope you they agree don't... on the pandemic. I've seen you tweeting. I was yeah. very happy. Oh, yeah, because I, I I um I didn't you know follow you for a couple of years, like a year or two. And I came back to you in 2020 and mm -hmm. I was like, yes, that is fucking right on about the pandemic. Like, I was so oh, happy yeah. to see that. So, I mean, that was a drastic measure. Maybe they'll, they'll ramp it up to even even the next level. Um, look, I think we're running out of time. You got time for a little bit more? Uh, yeah, totally. Ten, ten more minutes, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Um, all right. It's kind of, kind of be an arbitrary change of course here, just because um, we got cut off and we don't have as much time now. And you said you didn't like capitalist realism, which I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say you liked it. I don't. I don't like it either. But I think it's worth mm -hmm. reading. I think it's worth reading. Mm -hmm. uh, would you say no? It's worth reading only because it is a favorite book of many people who I like right, right, <laughs> and, okay. who I and who I respect. And it's a very influential book in this political subculture we're talking about, the post-left. So, which I think is significant. That I think that movement is significant. Obviously it's not anywhere near being a majority, 
or holding any kind of institutional power, but it's a significant movement that I am very sympathetic to, and they like the book. So that's the reason I read it. All right, because when I, you know, I read it the first time, maybe 2017, and I just kind of didn't really read reread it in full, but I skimmed it for this show. And between then and now, I had read uh, Unqualified Reservations and, and lots of Curtis Yarvin's Gray Mirror and all the mm-hmm. stuff he's wrote since, written since then. Mm-hmm. And I see, um, I think him and Yarvin and Fisher ascertain the same dilemma for the future and the near future. And they, they mm. offer two different, uh, well, Yarvin offers uh, a solution or a potential solution. Fisher doesn't exactly offer a solution, but he does sort of say uh, what we need to do or what he thinks would be ideal, which unfortunately <laughs> he thinks is more communism. Uh, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but I, as is typical with communism though and communists, he does have a pretty good uh, analysis and cr- critique of capitalism and, and democracy and culture. Would you give him that at least? Well, tell me what you think that critique is. Uh, the critique basically is the um, Fukuyama one that we live in the end of history now, and that uh, do you remember the term hauntology? I don't know if you know that from Derrida, but Fisher talks mm-hmm. about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and hauntology is like the specter of communism. This is for the listeners: the specter of communism haunting the left of what could have been, and they're sort of wa- wallowing in uh, the defeat, and they kind of don't know where to turn now. Mm-hmm. And and Fukuyama said that was going to happen for the entire West. And I think Fisher is saying that that's happening specifically for the left, because in mm. that book, he says that they're sort of um, lapping up the crumbs that capitalism is giving them. And there's even a specific point in there where he talks about people like eating junk food and playing video games all night and smoking weed and like thinking they yeah. won. You know what I right. mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and this is like the condition of our time now. This is this is the 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 normie or the NPC. And um are you familiar with the term or the concept of woke capital? Yeah, sure. Okay. I think what he was talking about was woke capital, but it hasn't happened yet. And the way mm. I see the, the sleight of hand that the left played that created the post left is that they sort of pandered to leftist identity politics and kind of threw out, you know, they put the pride flag on a corporation or they, yeah. they, they paid fealty to BLM. Nike right. put uh, Connor Kirkpatrick or Colin, you know the guy I'm talking about, right? Yes. The guy who yes. kneeled. The quarterback, yes. <laughs> they gave him a shoe. Um, uh, this is exactly what Fisher was saying. He was saying that they're going to exploit your your uh, your uh, empathy and they're going to exploit your critique of, of culture mm-hmm. and your critique of the marginalized. And mm-hmm. they're basically going to, uh, he says, like, kill the left that way. He, he said the left was already dead basically back then. And they mm-hmm. need to, like, revive by basically having a recapitulation of like Marxist, uh, the, the core tenets of Marxism, which I disagree with completely. Um, right. Where, yeah, where would, how famous would Colin Kaepernick be if, Nike, if Nike did not sponsor him? And they did so, they sponsored him ex- completely because of his politics. He was already out, of, he wasn't even playing football anymore when they sponsored him and gave him a huge platform, of course. And so the Fisher analysis of that is the left, or what's called the left, has accepted the permanent existence of capitalism and instead of challenging capitalism is doing what we're talking about here you know making what making people feel good with these superficial identitarian politics which 
go nowhere. They lead to nothing. You know, BLM has been around for how long now? And talking about how criminal justice is simply a question of race. It's only about race. It's only about race. It's only about race. When half a million white people are in prison as we speak in this country. Right. right. Um, and look where they got. Nowhere. Not nowhere. There's exact same number of shootings by police every year. Same number of unarmed black men shot by the police every year, which is, by the way, about five on average, <laughs> that, that many people <laughs> per year. Um, in a huge country with a million law enforcement officers, it's actually a pretty impressive record that they only killed that many people. Not, not to mention that, but also, you know, uh, people where gun, where gun ownership is so prevalent here um, that that few people are killed by the police. So, um, yeah, identity politics is a dead end. And what we need to do is challenge capitalism um, at its base. And Fisher says the left has given up on that, and therefore we are at the end of history, and that's where he's wrong. I mean, there's no, yeah, <laughs> there's never an end. Wrong. There's never an end to history, of course. I mean, until, I mean, even even if a meteor hit the Earth and killed everybody here, that doesn't end history. Things still continue. Well, so, they mean history in a specific sense, though. But yeah, on, well, his, historical progress is what he yeah. means, right? Social progress. So no, it's um. I mean, that is, I mean, I agree with his point about the left accepting the existence of capitalism for sure. So you don't even have real socialists anymore. I mean, I have many friends, many people have been on my show who are, they call themselves socialists. They write books about socialism being a great thing. But when they actually, when you get down to policy, all they ever talk about is Medicare for all and public schools yeah. and you know teachers unions and like that's not socialism i'm talking about let's nationalize some goddamn industries guys let's do this they don't never yeah, talk but, about that they never talk about that yeah fuck well it's going <laughs> to take us too far off but i actually agree with you right now um but that's nationalism <laughs> and that's what steve bannon is talking yeah. about yeah <laughs> yeah nationalist so social nationalist socialism which is what the bernie people are all about yeah, a form of socialism. But again, it's not really socialism. It's like a, it's social democracy. It's right. really Scandinavian politics. That's all it is. It's Scandinavian politics. Uh, Bannon and company, the MAGA movement, they want Scandinavian politics without immigration. And so does, I think so does some of the Bernie crowd, but that's that's what they're calling for. They're, no one is a real socialist anymore. Yeah. I can't think of anybody who's, you know, you're talking about socializing or nationalizing whole industries. That's, then we're talking about socialism. Right. But no one's calling for that. Well, but one of the things Fisher says, and this is one of the ways that I kept thinking about Curtis Yarvin, is he says that capitalism is bipolar and it's like lurching from one capitalist crisis to the next. And this is mm -hmm. like the Marxist critique. Like if we had socialism, we wouldn't constantly have this boom and bust cycle of the of the market and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's calling for socialism to implement some stability. And that's exactly and, and implement order. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what what Yarvin is saying. He's saying and Nick Land says this, too. I, I wanted to ask you what you thought of Nick Land. Uh, if you haven't read him, you should look into him. He's a big, big figure on the post left. Mm -hmm. But uh, and, and he took up Yarvin's work and ran with it and did some really interesting things. Mm -hmm. Both of those guys say that democracy is unstable and it, it creates entropy or excuse me, it exacerbates entropy mm -hmm. and anything that's exacerbating entropy right is going to result in, in a heat death so in order to to prevent that we need what uh land land says this but it's in it's in yarvin too but uh extropy which we need to implement order and whereas mm. where where mark fisher says socialism yarvin says this tech ceo uh monarch which he calls a monarch mm -hmm. um so i don't know maybe i'm maybe it's a stretch for me but i i see yarvin and fisher as two sides of the same coin and for me as a leftist trying to figure out where to go next i certainly 
throw my lot in with Curtis Yarvin and that camp, uh, which is why I'm on the right. And I was pleasantly surprised today. I ended up agreeing, finding you agree with me on quite a lot and almost almost makes me want my last question to be, why don't you consider yourself on the right? I wasn't intending to ask you that. <laughs> so many of the things you said, I was like pleasantly surprised, like, oh, well, we agree on that too. And we agree on that too. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, I, the thing about, you know, I don't think the problem is disorder and chaos. I think if anything, we're an overly managed society. And that certainly in the last two years, it's hard to argue that we're not. I, I want more chaos. I want well, less order. I want less but, order, actually. But what about like the boom and bust cycle of the stock market and uh, things like well, that? Well, I mean, there's there are the, the, which, entire, which are wholly manufactured. There are entire libraries devoted to analyzing boom and bust cycles and what causes them and what doesn't cause them. Right. There's a massive debate among economists for about a century on this very question. And I am not an economist, so I can't tell you about that much. If you implement full scale what, what do the communists call it? Full communism for a while? Yeah, full communism, Soviet-style communism. Yeah, there won't be boom and bust cycles, I suppose, although you'd be still operating within a world economy that would be mostly capitalist, and so there would be boom and bust cycles all around you. But socialism, of course, creates its own problems, and there could be booms and busts within socialism, like when the workers refuse to work all of a sudden one day in, the fa- in their socialist factories, right? They refuse to manage. They refuse to manage the factories they're working in. Again, socialism, right? That's a big bust for socialism. You can go broke as a socialist real fast. Uh, there could be a boom, though, on the other hand, conversely, if you manage to convince the entire population that communism is virtuous and wonderful and that there's nothing greater than to be a good Soviet socialist citizen and worker and soldier. If you get convinced everybody of that, you actually could build a very prosperous country, very prosperous society in that way. Yeah. It's just that no one's ever bought that, not in any, not in sufficient numbers. The working class has never been, they never bought in sufficiently to communism to create that. If I could jump in real quick, man, yeah. while, while you're talking, I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, Thaddeus is definitely correct. There are no fucking socialists in America. Nobody wants that, no matter what they say. Oh, no. There's no way. No, no. no. I mean, show me some, show me one person on Twitter who's calling for socializing an entire industry. You know, for the state, the state to yeah. to seize, to expropriate an entire industry. Never, never, I never um, say that. Yeah, and, and you know, that's what Fisher says is these people really just want more capitalism. But I, I, I'm not here to defend Fisher because ultimately I reject his work. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, we can make this the last question. Uh, okay. Why, and I think I know your answer, <laughs> but I wanna know, like, why don't you consider yourself on the right now? Oh, yeah, well, um, hmm. Mm, many reasons. I mean, I, I have tremendous respect for true conservatives, paleoconservatives, classical conservatives, whatever you want to call them. Edmund Burke and his whole lineage. I, I love those guys. And I've had a lot of them on my show, by the way. I'm very interested in paleocons. I think they are, I think they're generally good people. And there's something very humane about their politics. And certainly their skepticism about grand egalitarian political movements, for sure, they're right about that. But I, um, I also think, I mean, I am, of course, sort of famously, relentlessly skeptical of tradition, you know, and received yeah. wisdom, received wisdom in particular. A lot of the received wisdom these days actually comes from the left, ironically, but, you know, it's still, the left is actually is old enough now that it's established its own traditions. Right. So we have to have particular ideas about Martin Luther King and we have ceremonies to, to celebrate him. And, you know, it's just like the old church. Right. So I am skeptical of all that. And if anytime 
people in power tell me something's true, I'm going to be skeptical. Right. Whether you are the Pope or whether you are DeRay Mackison, the head of BLM, right? I don't care. It's either way, I'm going to be skeptical of that. So, and then also, I mean, I want change, uh, I think, in almost everything. I mean, I don't, what from the past do we really want to conserve? I mean, I want to pose this to a lot of conservatives these days. Like, okay, you keep talking about how America was great at one point or things were better back in the, like when, where, for whom? What, the 1950s? What, when we had legal segregation and women were not allowed into the professions? Is that what you really want, right? I mean, early feminism and the early civil rights movement were 100% good and correct in my view, right? And so where do you wanna go back to? When was America great? Please identify the moment. There's very little from the past I wanna carry forward as a matter of fact. I, I love change and innovation and creativity and skepticism and curiosity. Those are my primary values. So it's just that the left has been so horrific and totalitarian and ironically sort of conservative in its own ways, as I've been saying, right? They're enforcing their own traditions, their own moral code. I mean, we have to think particular ways about the past, right? That's the left is always talking about history constantly. They won't ever talk about racism now. When racism comes up, they immediately start talking about 1955. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I am, I am, I primarily value curiosity and skepticism. And so that's not, those are not really right-wing values. Also the right-wing um, has had some pretty ugly affiliations. I mean, I, I do think, I do think fascism is a right-wing movement. It's very much about conserving the tradition of the country in which it's operating, right? Blood and soil, you know, these people belong to this land. Fuck you. I want to move where I want to move. I don't, I just happen to be, I would happen to be born here, not by my choice. And I'd like to not feel like obligated to do something for the place where I happen to be born, right? That's the conservative idea is that you stay where you are and you, you don't move. You literally don't move. You stay where you are and you develop that community where you work and live. I'm not about that. I like traveling and exploring and finding new people and new ideas. I'm constantly curious. My mind is constantly changing, by the way, on politics, on everything. I was a socialist once and now I'm not, a, now I'm an anti-socialist. So that, none of that's really right-wing in my view. It's also not really left-wing either. It's just, you know, what is curiosity? That's my politics is curiosity. Yeah, you know, one of my, one of my favorite taglines is I, I actually don't care about politics. I feel subjected to politics. And um, it's, mm -hmm. it's disappointing to me that what you're saying is true, that curiosity and intellectual curiosity actually isn't valued by really either side. Right. And um, I too, you know, I too shy away from from the, the label of being right wing because of the affiliations that it, it creates, even though, like I said, by default, I have to consider myself that way because of certain things I believe. Um, all right. Well, look, this has been great. This has been great. I feel like we could get a lot more out of this, not just on the post left, but just the whole thing. So hopefully the conversation isn't over. I don't know in what capacity, maybe we can collaborate on something in the future or we can talk again. Um, sure. I don't really want to be a shill for myself or for land and Yarvin. However, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of work on their thought because, and, and, and I think, um, I think a lot. I I think I went through similar uh, misgivings that you're having here about the right mm. and and about the left, mm. and I feel like those two guys have accounted for a lot of that. You know, Land right used to be left, and he was with Mark Fisher and the CCR. Mm -hmm. You know that whole history there. A little bit, just a little bit. 
Well, um, to cut a long story short, they were together. There was a split. Land went mm -hmm. right. Fisher stayed left. Um, mm. And Land grapples. Mm. And I think does a good mm. job accounting for all the, the concerns you have and their concerns that I had. And it mm. wasn't really until I read his later work that I started to feel more comfortable, you know, on this side. Uh, so, you know, hopefully someday I encourage you to look into Nick Land. And okay. uh, I've, I'm working on a huge piece on my blog. It's already part of it's already out about mm. um, enunciating how some of these things you're concerned with are addressed by a certain form of right wing, uh, typically accelerationism and neo-reactionary. Mm -hmm. And that's as much of, uh, uh, you know, invocation for my listeners to go check my blog out. Um, I also want them to check out you on Twitter. And I think it's, is it unregistered or is it at Thaddeus Russell? It's at Thaddeus Russell. And then, yeah, uh, yeah. As, as I said before, you know, patreon.com slash unregistered for all my content. Yep. Absolutely. And I know you're going to be bringing a lot of listeners to this episode. For those of you who are fans of my show, I highly encourage you to go through his backlog and listen to his uh, his episode. I just listened to your Anna Kachian today. Yeah. Uh, and it's awesome. I mean, she yeah. is unbelievably well-spoken, uh, impressively yeah. so. Yeah, I, she's uh, great. Yeah, she is. She is. So, well, listen, we're going to cut it off here, and uh, hopefully we can we can work together again in the future. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. It was right, fun. Man. Thanks a lot.